0: Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. We are continuing uh, the sermon we began last Sunday, uh, focusing on this question of assurance. How can we know uh, if our faith is, is real and sincere? And we see that that John writes this first letter in order to answer just that question. So this morning again, I'll be reading First John chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-four. But really, the whole letter will be our text this morning. But before we uh, re hear the reading and the preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask for His blessing upon the ministry of His word here this morning. Father in heaven, as we come into Your presence this morning, You Tell us that your word is that imperishable seed by which we have been born again. And it is the pure spiritual milk by which we grow. And so we come this morning, Father, thankful for your word and uh, calling on your promise. That promise that says that your word will not return to you empty, but that it will accomplish its purpose. Father, use the ministry of your word here this morning to enliven us and to equip us to live as becomes your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. This is the very word of God. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. This is the reading of God's word. Kids, you can come forward to meet me at the front. Good morning. How are you guys? All right, I have a question for you. How many of you like to play outside? You guys like to play outside? Yeah, yeah. You all like to play outside. You know, Major in Magic, they like to play outside too. And so when we get home, after I've picked them up from daycare, and we we pull into the garage, and I open the doors and I let them out of the car, do you know what they almost never do? They almost never go inside. Instead, they run out of the garage into the yard because they want to play. They want to run around and they want to throw rocks and, you know, do other kinds of things that little boys love to do. But... Do you know one of their favorite places to play outside? It's not in the backyard. One of their favorite places to play is in the road that goes right in front of my house. For whatever reason, when they run out of the garage and they run into the yard, they don't run to the grass. They run right to the street. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I should let them play in the street? No. No, why why not? Why would I not let them play in the street? That's where they want to play. They could get hit by a car. Would that hurt? Yeah. Yes, that would hurt. That would not be good for them, right? If they, if they were playing in the street and they got hit by a car, that would not be good for them, right? And so I don't let Major and Magic play in the street. I tell them to come back, and when they don't listen, I go, and I pick them up, and I bring them back, and I, I put them in the backyard, and I, I don't let them play in the street. I do that because I know it's not good for them and because I love them. And one of the most important things that you will learn about your relationship with God is that he does the same thing. You know, because of sin, we sometimes like to play in the street. We sometimes like to do things that aren't good for us. And God tells us no. And and sometimes he actually stops us. He'll he'll pick us up and he'll, he'll put us back in the backyard. He won't let us do that, which is... Hurtful to us, or which might harm us, he he instead calls us to obey him. Now, you have to understand you you don't obey God in order for Him to save you, right? over a big and you over it would smush you. That is exactly right, and and I don't want that to happen to Major in Magic, and and God doesn't want that to happen to you, right? And so one of the most important things that you will learn about your relationship with God is that he calls on you to obey him because he loves you. Because His John tells us later in this letter that... His commands are not burdensome. They're actually good for us. And sometimes that's hard for us to believe, right? It's hard for Major and Magic to believe that playing in the street is bad for them. They don't really understand. And sometimes we don't really understand when God tells us not to do certain things, when he tells us that we have to obey our parents or, or share our toys or be, be kind to the uh, other kid who was not kind to us. We, we don't always understand. But one of the most important things that we'll learn is that God calls on us to obey him and to do these things, not because he's mean or he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. And because he knows these are the things that will help us to have uh, the best life that he wants for us. And as you grow up, you'll see that he's actually creating a desire to obey him in your heart. And when you see that, when you say, oh, you know what? God's, God's at work in me. That should, that should give you confidence because, you know what? The God whom we serve, he's faithful. And he never starts a good work without completing it. And if he has started to teach you to love to obey him, he will finish it. And because he always finishes what he starts, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? And then you guys can go sit back down. All right, if you've not done so already, uh, open your Bibles to uh, the first letter of John. As I said, uh, I read uh, verses 19 through 24 of chapter 3, but really our our text this morning uh, is the entire book, just as it was uh, last Sunday, because we are, again, taking up that question that we took up last Sunday, Uh, that question that I am confident that all of us have wrestled with at one time Or another, the the question of assurance. How can we know that our faith is real? How can we know that our our profession is sincere? And not the the vain faith that the New Testament sometimes talks about. The New Testament tells us there is such a thing as, as false faith. And so, how do we know that our faith is not that? As you can see, the, the focus of these questions is not really on, on Jesus' power to save. We, we believe that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. The question is, is, have we really believed in Him? Have we really rested upon Him? We're not doubting Him, we're, we're doubting ourselves. And so how do we deal with those doubts that we all wrestle with about the, the sincerity and the vitality of our own faith? We're turning to 1 John because he actually wrote this letter to address just that question. 1 John chapter 5 tells us that at the end of chapter 5, John writes these words He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life in him. So, as we saw last Sunday, John is writing to believers. He, he writes his gospel so that they may know that Jesus is the Christ and, and may have eternal life by believing in him. But now he is writing to those who have, who have heard the message of that gospel and have believed in Jesus Christ. <coughs> and he writes to them so that they may know that they have eternal life in him, that they may have assurance of their own salvation. He's he's writing to believers to give them that assurance that our hearts crave. He he says it right there in the verses we read. Sometimes our hearts condemn us. Sometimes we, we doubt our faith, and he's writing this letter so that we may have the assurance that God wants us to have. And it's to that end that John gives his readers three tests. He gives them three tests whereby they may determine the authenticity of their faith, of their profession in Jesus Christ. And we see all of them together in that text that I read there in verse 23. Look again at at what John writes in chapter 3, verse 23. He says, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. So the first test you see there is the, the test of belief. What is the content of our faith? It's, it's one thing to say that we believe, but what is it that we actually believe? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God? Do we believe that He has come in the flesh? And do we believe that, that He is the Savior of Sinners, this is the the substance of our faith. And if this is the substance of our faith, then we can know that that faith is from God because that faith encapsulates the very heart of the gospel. As we said last Sunday, when we believe in Jesus, we're not just believing that he teaches a good ethic or that he lived a good life. We are believing that he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are believing that he has given his life as the ransom price of our redemption. He was our Passover lamb. He was the sacrifice that dealt with the guilt of our sin. And if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, come in the flesh as the Savior of sinners, then we can know that our faith is from God, but it is a real faith. But there's a second test that he gives us, and that's the test of obedience. Has our belief in Jesus produced in us and in our lives obedience to Jesus' commands? And the third test is related to this. The third test is the test of of love. Is our obedience to Jesus, is that an obedience that is marked by sincere and genuine love for our brothers and sisters? Is Is it a Faith that expresses itself, an obedience that expresses itself in love. So these are the three tests. The test of belief, the test of obedience, and the test of love. We, we looked at the first of these tests last Sunday. And so this morning, I want us to take up the next two. I want us to take up uh, the, the tests of obedience and the tests of love. So let's begin with the first test, this, this test of obedience. This is, as I said, John's second test. Uh, we, we can test our belief. We, do we, what do we believe? Do we believe in Jesus Christ? But is the belief that we have in Jesus as the Christ, is it a test that expresses itself in obedience to his commands? And we see John uh, talking about this throughout the whole letter. Look with me first at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is what John writes. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. So how do you know if you've come to know Christ? How do you know if you've put your faith in Him if we keep His commandments? Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We see the same thing in in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 24, John writes, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So is the Spirit working obedience in you? Is the the Spirit working uh, a submission to God's commands? By this we can know... That we are in God and He is in us. And he, and he returns to this theme again in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. He writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So again and again throughout the letter, John returns to this idea that obedience is evidence of a living and sincere faith. True believers obey. That's what, that's what John is saying. Obedience to Jesus' commands is the proof of our profession of faith in him. So we must ask ourselves, do we obey? Do we do what he says? Is he functionally the Lord of our life? Do we live as his servants and as his subjects? That's the, that's the task that John wants us to apply. And having such a test is, is significant. It's, it's important because, as I said earlier, the, the, the New Testament teaches us that there is such a thing as a false profession of faith. It is possible to mouth the words without having a true saving faith. We see this maybe most clearly in, in Jesus' own Sermon on the Mount. There are those, Jesus says, who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. They will will profess him as Lord. They will will claim to be his subjects. They will will claim to be bowing to him as the Christ and as the Messiah. But he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Why would Jesus say this to anyone who, who professes faith in him? Doesn't John tell us in his gospel that whosoever believes... Why then would would Jesus do this? Well, he tells us, because they did not obey him. They they did not do what he said, but on the contrary, they were workers of lawlessness. And thus, we need to know, we need to know how to test our faith. Jesus is telling us here, uh, a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is, is known by its fruit. You can tell whether a tree is healthy. You can tro- tell whether a tree is alive by the fruit that it bears. And John is saying much the same thing here. True faith will express itself in sincere obedience. Now, it's important for us to understand why. Why is it that sincere faith obeys? Why does faith necessarily produce Obedience. And I I think we can come at this question from a couple of different angles. One, One reason that faith necessarily produces obedience is because of the nature of salvation itself. When you believe, you are trusting God for salvation. But what does that mean? What is the salvation that you are trusting for? You see, we have to understand that the salvation that we uh, are believing for is something more than the, the mere rescue from hell. Now understand, it's, it's not less than that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, salvation is not less than a rescue from hell. We, we confess that uh, what is due to us for our sin is the wrath and curse of God. And we confess that we have been rescued from that through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification, so that we do not have to bear uh, the eternal consequences of our sin. That is good. That is is very good. That is at uh, at the very heart of the gospel. There is a coming day of judgment, and on that day of judgment, God's wrath will be revealed against all unrighteousness. We need to believe that. The Creator God will one day call His creation to account. And on that day, you will receive from him what is due to you for what you have done in the body. That is the the clear teaching of Scripture. And so if you stand before him on that day, uh, on on the basis of your own record, on the basis of your own merit, you will receive what your record and your merit deserve. And what your record and your merit deserve, no matter how good you think you are in comparison with your neighbors, what your record and what your merit deserves is the eternal wrath of God. You are a sinner. You have fallen short of His glory, and He cannot let you into His new creation. Or it would not remain new very long. He is going to deal with the sin problem, and if you remain apart from Him, you are part of that problem. And you will be dealt with. And that's part of the good news. The good news is that we in Christ will not stand before God alone, but we will stand before Him in the Son. We will stand before Him as those who have received and rested upon Jesus Christ for our salvation. And because we are in Him, we will not receive what our works deserve, but rather we will deserve the, the, the blessing that His perfect righteousness. Has earned. That's at the heart of the gospel. In Christ, we have been rescued from the coming wrath of God. So don't hear me saying that, that rescue from hell is not part of our salvation. But I do want you to hear me say that rescue from hell is not our full salvation. Our, our salvation is not merely rescue from hell, but rather salvation is not only from the wrath and the curse that are due to us from our sin, but it is actually a reconciliation to God. It is a restoration to the life that we were created for, and we were created to live as His children in the good world that He has created. Our salvation is not only from, but it is to, and it is to God. Your salvation means that that you have been rescued from God's wrath and have been reconciled to live now in His shalom, by His grace. So what does it mean to live with God? What does it mean to to walk with Him? Or John tells us, he tells us that that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so therefore, to to walk with God, to live with God, to be reconciled to God is necessarily to walk in. In the light. So here's the test. If you are not interested in walking in the light, if you are not interested in walking with God in the way that He uh, would have you to go, then you are not interested in the salvation that He is actually offering. You may want to be rescued from the consequences of your sin. You may even want to be rescued from the eternal consequences of your sin. But if you do not want to be reconciled to God, if you do not want to walk with Him in the light, then you don't want the salvation that He is actually offering. And to ask God for a salvation that He is not offering is not faith. To trust Jesus for a salvation that He is not offering is not faith. Faith is a faith that understands that salvation is reconciliation to God and therefore trusts him for that reconciliation. So faith necessarily produces obedience because faith is trusting God for a reconciliation that means being brought back into the light, out of the darkness. But there's a second way that we can look at this. Yes, we need to see that that faith is necessarily trusting God, not just for rescue from the consequences of our sin, but actually reconciliation to Him in the light. But we also need to see that that His commands are a description of what it looks like to walk in the light. As I was saying to the kids, uh, 1 John chapter 5 tells us that Jesus' commands are not burdensome. If you believe that God is good, if you believe that God is beautiful, if you believe that that God is light, then then yes, you may still find His commandments difficult for any number of reasons. Uh, there, are, there are pressures exerted upon us in this world because of, of the sin that remains in our flesh, because of the, the world that wants us to join it on its way to destruction, because of the devil who seeks to devour any who would call Jesus Lord. There are, there are pressures that continue to come at us in this present evil age, and those pressures will continue to wage war against our soul until that day when, when Christ returns. <laughs> And so if you believe that God is good, you may still find His commandments difficult because of, of the obstacles and the, the pressures that we face in this world, but you will not find those commandments burdensome. You, you may find them difficult, but you will not find them burdensome, but rather you will, you will find them to be a delight. You will find them to be sweeter than honey. You will, you will find them to be more precious than, than silver. You will want to do what He is commanding you to do, even when you sometimes struggle to do it. Because you recognize, by God's grace, that your sins are leading you into death and destruction and brokenness, and that His ways are the only ways to wholeness and to life as God intended it to be. Now, we sometimes don't think this way about God's commandments, because, as I said, we're still sinners. We, it's what we confessed earlier in this service. Sin still remains in us, and st- sin some, sometimes still clouds our, our thinking and, and blinds our eyes and our foolishness. We, we sometimes see God's commands as a hindrance to what we really want. Maybe you've, you've thought it. Maybe you've even said it. If only I could, you fill in the blank. If only God would let me, you, you fill in the blank. If, if only God would, would, would let me express my sexuality as I want. If only God would would let me shade the truth to to, uh, prosper my business. If only God would let me keep more of the money I'm making for myself. If only God would let me keep more of my time for myself. Then I would be happy. If only I could play in the street. That's what we think. If only God would let me play in the street. Then, then I would be happy. I suspect you've, you've wrestled with such darkened logic. I know I have. It's a constant struggle for me. I have to regularly remind myself that God's ways are good and that my ways lead only to death. I have to regularly rekindle and strengthen my faith. My faith in God. My faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and, and Savior of sinners. But, but recognize me. That's what I'm doing. When I remind myself that God's commands are good, I am rekindling my faith. Because faith believes that God is good and that His ways are good and that His commandments are not burdensome. But of course, this raises other questions, does it not? There's a a tension here. We've said that that faith believes that God is good and that His commandments are good and it wants to obey Him, but we've also acknowledged... That we don't always believe. And so, how exactly can obedience be a test of our faith? Seems like that's a test we'd all fail. So, so, what is John getting at? Well, let's make a couple of things clear. First, John is not saying that we earn our salvation by our obedience. Hopefully that's that's clear, hopefully that's been clear, but but let's just say it again. We we do not earn our salvation by our obedience. John is not writing so that we might get eternal life, but so that we may know we have it in Christ. We are not saved by our work, but by Jesus' work. We are saved because Jesus' righteousness has been counted as our own. It has been credited to us that we might stand before God and be justified. And we have been justified, and on that last day we have nothing to fear, because on that last day we will be openly acknowledged and acquitted as righteous in the sight of God. The justification that we have already received will be proclaimed to the heavens. That's what we have to look forward to on that day, because we are in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Because we have believed in him, we now have the guarantee of eternal life in him. So what John is saying is not that we get eternal life because we've obeyed, but rather that obedience is the manifestation and the evidence of the faith whereby we have received that gift. So we, we need to understand that. Faith, obedience is not how we get eternal life. It's the evidence of the faith by which we lay hold of the gift. But There's something else we need to say here. We need to say something about the, uh, the, the content of that obedience. Because if we believe that John is saying that perfect obedience is the only expression of faith, then all of us will leave here very sad. <laughs> All of us will be crushed by this. All, all of us will, will be defeated. All of us will leave here thinking, well, clearly I must not believe. Because none of us obeys perfectly. And so the second qualification that we need to see here is that John does not mean that faith will express itself in perfect obedience. And I say that not just because I need him to say that. <laughs> yeah, I do need him to say that. But John actually makes this clear in the letter himself. Turn with me to uh, to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. What does he write? He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. None other than Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, so, so John is not writing to encourage sin. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. I want you to see that faith expresses itself in obedience. I want you to see that, that faith walks in the light. But I recognize that in this present age, you will continue to sin. And when you sin, remember, you have an advocate. In fact, John tells us in the end of chapter 1, he says, if you claim not to have sinned, you're a liar. He says, I know that you're sinners. I know that that God's good work of sanctification is not yet complete in you. And he he comes back to this again in in chapter 3. Turn there with me to chapter 3, verse 3. It's actually in chapter 3 that, that John says uh, some of the things that really uh, may be weigh heaviest upon us. He says, listen, children of God don't sin. And, and we wrestle to know how to, uh, what to do with those statements because, because John makes them so matter-of-factly, so emphatically. But, but what I want you to see is that even in the context of making those statements, John acknowledges what he knows to be true of all believers in this age, that we are still sinners. He says, Beloved, beginning in verse 3, Beloved, we are God's children now. He, listen to his confidence. God's love has been lavished on us. We are God's children now. That's the, that's the reality. That's what's true of you this morning. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are God's children now. You have been justified and adopted into his family. You have been qualified for an inheritance in the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what's true. We are God's children now. But, and that but is glorious because what does he say? He says, but what we will be as God's children has not yet appeared. The day is coming when, as God's children, we will be holy as He is holy. The day is is coming when when sin will be entirely eradicated. Not only will will we be saved from the guilt of our sin, not only will we be saved from the consequences of our sin, but we will be set free entirely from its power and its presence in our lives. That day is not yet, but that day is coming. That day is coming, and we look forward to it, but... We recognize that it is not yet. That's what John says. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That day is coming. So for people who who look forward to that day, what do we do now? He tells us, everyone who thus hopes in him, everyone who knows that one day they will be like him, purifies himself now as he is pure. We fight our sin. We, we seek to put it to death. We seek to, to put it off. But we do so knowing that we are still sinners, knowing that we will still struggle in this life. And so we, we recognize that, that John himself is telling us that it is not perfect obedience that is the test of faith. Perfect obedience will not be attained in this life. We need to understand that or we will be crushed by these tests. But rather, what John is saying is that faith will express itself in the, the sincere pursuit of obedience. Our, our catechism uses the language of the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. I know it's uh, not common in our day to, to memorize the catechism. I would recommend it, actually. But uh, even if you're not going to memorize the whole catechism, this is a phrase to lay hold of. <laughs> What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is is turning from our sin to God with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Full purpose means that we have the the full intent to obey Him. You see, when you come to Jesus, you cannot come to Him with a a partial intent. You cannot come to Him saying, I will let you be Lord of this area of my life, but not over here. Now, functionally, we will all do that functionally, we will all uh, continue to see areas of our life that we have sort of safeguarded from God's lordship. But we can't do that with intention. Our, our intention must be to submit all of life to Him. He is king or He is not. And so we come to Him with the full purpose of obedience, and we come to Him endeavoring after that obedience, not just intending it, but, but working towards it, actually taking steps in that direction. Those who do not intend to obey, those who do not endeavor after obedience, should have no assurance of their salvation. Let me say that again. Those who do not intend to obey, or those who do not endeavor to obey, should have no assurance of their salvation. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. If you are not believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you are not believing on him as he is offered to you in the gospel. Your faith may be an acknowledgement of who he is, but it is not yet a saving faith. And it's better to hear that truth now than on that coming day when his judgment will be revealed. Because hearing that truth now, you still have the opportunity to truly repent. You have the opportunity to recognize your own arrogance and and hard-heartedness towards him and to acknowledge those sins, to confess those sins, and to ask him to grant to you that repentance unto life that will soften your heart, that will sprinkle clean water on you that you might be clean. And so if that is where you find yourself this morning, if you have never fully intended to obey, if you have never fully uh, endeavored after obedience then acknowledge that reality in your life. Humble yourself before him. Confess that sin and seek his grace. For he is a God who enjoys lavishing grace on those who ask. Whatever your sins may be, he will give you the grace you need to turn from them to him in true living faith. And I believe most of those here this morning have done that. You see, the other side of the coin is that those who do intend to obey, those who do intend to endeavor after obedience, those who in humble reliance upon God's grace are endeavoring to live as His children ought to live, they can have an assurance that their faith is a living faith. Because that purpose of Obedience, That endeavor after obedience, those are evidence of God's work in your life. He did that. That is His work. And if He is at work in you already, then even though He's not yet done, you know He will bring to completion the work that He has begun. So the question, again, that we ask ourselves is, do we have this endeavor after obedience? Do we have this pursuit after obedience? It's, it's a complicated question because, as I said, we, we sin because we want to. <laughs> but ask yourself, what do you want to do right now in the moment? Not in the heat of battle. Sometimes in the heat of battle, we are deceived. Sometimes in the heat of battle, we are, we are entangled. Sometimes in the heat of heat of battle, we, we, we turn in ways that our heart does not want to go. This is the struggle that, that Paul himself talks about in, in Romans chapter 7, doing the thing we don't want to do and not doing the thing we, we do. We all know that reality. But, but as you sit here this morning in the presence of God before His face, honestly search your heart and say, do I want to obey? Because if you do, that is God's gift. That is evidence of His work. And while he is not yet completed, while you will not honor that, that desire perfectly, you can know that he is at work and that your faith is real and that one day you will see him as he is and you will be made like him because he is faithful and he will not fail to bring to completion the good work that he has Begun. And the, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the means of grace whereby God uh, nurtures and sustains this faith that He has given us. But recognize this that if you have a desire to obey Him, if you have a desire to, to, to bow to Him as your Lord, if you have a desire to honor Him in all of life, that is a gift of God. He did that. And if He did that, He will bring it to completion, He will bring the full harvest of righteousness. And because we trust in Him to complete the good work that He has begun, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank You for Your glorious grace. That grace that has begun this good work in us, Father. This, this grace that has begun this, this good work of, of turning us from our sin to You with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Father God, our hearts were hostile towards you. Our hearts were inclined towards darkness. But you, in your grace, granted us repentance unto life. May we see that, Father. May we take comfort in it. And may we now nurture that gift which you have given us, that we might continue to grow until that day when we see your Son as he is and are conformed perfectly to his likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.